Hey y'all, this is Sharita, and I recover out loud for those who are suffering in silence. You are listening to Black Recovery Talk, a podcast that discusses abstinence and sobriety, open and honestly to remind people they are not alone in a society that glamorizes addiction and stigmatizes mental health. Now on to today's episode. Hello, my name is Sharita, and welcome to the first ever episode of Black Recovery Talk. This podcast has been a long time coming, and I'm so happy for those of you who are taking this journey with me. Now, I'm sure some of you are wondering why I chose to dedicate a podcast to Black folks in recovery, or maybe you're not, but either way, I'm going to explain. If you pull a muscle in your back and you search how to heal a pulled muscle, and all the results you're getting are how to heal a pulled muscle in your leg or in your arm, those results won't help you much. You may have an understanding on how to heal a pulled muscle, but you won't know which exercises to do to directly heal your back. The same goes for shared experiences. I can search recovery podcast and hear how anyone heals, but my experience as a black woman will differ from any other race of man or woman or person, and I would like to hear how someone who has the same experiences based on race has healed. If you look up insert genre or niche podcast on any search engine, the majority of results will be cisgendered white people, yet they are not the only ones creating content. It is important that all experiences are shared equally. In order for me to reach a specific audience, I need to be specific. That is not to say this podcast is only for black people to listen to. However, it is important that we share our experiences with other people. My story will heal myself and my story will heal someone else. When a story is told, you free yourself and give other people permission to acknowledge their own story. Representation matters and has the power to encourage others to imagine themselves in new situations and experiences. It sends a message to people that they are seen and heard, and it acts as a healing property in our collective generational trauma. Because if you grew up in the 80s and 90s like I did, black folks did not have mental health issues. That was nothing but the devil. Before we get started in today's topic, which is going to be basically about recovery and what recovery is, I want to talk about some news that happened earlier this week or this month. You guys will learn that I am actually terrible with time. Thanks, ADHD. So something could have happened three years ago, and I'll say the other day. So Henry Ruggs III was drafted into the NFL in 2020 by the Las Vegas Raiders. Boo! Go Broncos! During his second season, he caused a car crash that killed a 23-year-old woman by the name of Tina and her dog Max. That happened on May 10th of 2023 and he was released from the Raiders the exact same day and Ruggs formally pleaded guilty to a felony count of driving under the influence a DUI resulting in death and a misdemeanor count of vehicular manslaughter he was sentenced to serve three to ten years in Nevada State Prison so that's the news that came out was his sentencing and this is what I think about that whole situation so he abuses alcohol or he's a problematic drinker like majority of people out there and he probably thinks that nothing bad will happen to him because he sees this kind of stuff happening all the time he sees people who drink and drive all the time and nothing ever really happens no matter how many PSAs are out there no matter how many you know, things like Mothers mothers Against Drunk Driving, no matter how many things like that are out there, people still continue to 
partake in the same type of problematic drinking, which leads to really horrible decisions, drinking and driving. And I would like to know why people are still okay with drinking and driving. Like, why is it still a thing that is happening? And alcohol is so glamorized and because of things like big alcohol and how much money goes into big alcohol, they don't attack the alcohol, which is the problem. They attack the person that is drinking the alcohol, which, yes, I understand it is a choice to drink alcohol, but alcohol is doing exactly what it was meant to do. You know, it's not meant to to do anything good in our society and we need to change our mindset about alcohol and not so much the people who ingest this addictive carcinogen um we need to not look at it as just a a harmless social elixir because that's not what it is and we will definitely talk about alcohol because that is my drug of choice. We will talk about alcohol a lot on this podcast, but I did just want to bring light to what's going on in the news that has to do with mental health and addiction. And that is the biggest news that I have seen within this past week. All right, so now we're going to get into the main topic of this episode, which is recovery and what exactly recovery is. So when you hear the word recovery, you might only think of someone who has an ongoing addiction to alcohol or some kind of substance, illegal substance or a drug. But recovery is any process during which a person is making an attempt to overcome a condition or addiction that is affecting their health and wellness in their daily lives. So that could be something like their personal relationships, their employment, their finances, anything like that that truly affects everything that happens in their daily lives, their sleep, their eating habits. Recovery is a lifelong process, so it's not something that has an endpoint. The goal of recovery is to help people with mental health addiction or substance use disorder successfully manage their conditions. Recovery is a personal journey to improve oneself, and it occurs via many different pathways. And those pathways can be clinical treatment, medications, faith-based approaches, peer support, family support, and self-care. Now, when we talk clinical treatment, a lot of people think those are available to just drug and alcohol addiction, but clinical treatment can also be for other unhealthy addictions and behavioral health conditions like eating disorders, um, self-mutilation, gambling, sex addiction, hoarding, compulsive shopping. Recovery addresses all kinds of challenges. So now we're going to move on to the quote of the week. And that is, addiction is giving up everything for one thing. Recovery is giving up one thing for everything. And this was a quote that really stuck with me early on in my sobriety because it is so very true. When you are actively addicted to something, no matter if it's a behavior or if it's a substance, your life revolves around that one or multiple addictions. And recovery is giving up that that one bad habit 
for everything else that you've been missing out on, such as life, goals, and dreams. And I, I love that quote, and I think it really ties into today's topic about recovery. So I wanna talk about my personal journey with every single pathway that we just talked about when it comes to recovery. And the first one is faith-based approaches. So in about 2008, 2009, I wasn't really heavy into my addiction, but I definitely was partaking in problematic drinking. And so I was about 23, 24 at that time. And I thought that was the time that I needed to settle down and start a family and have kids, regardless if I was ready or not, because I cared too much about societal standards. And I knew I needed to change, especially with my with my problematic drinking. That was something that I've I knew it was a problem early, early on in my drinking career, but I was not ready for what I thought society wanted me to have. And so I dove headfirst into church, which I tend to do with a lot of things. And you guys will learn that about me as we go on. And around that time, you know, a lot of people were partying around my age and I knew I wanted something different, but I wasn't sure what I wanted. And church was kind of the only thing that I knew growing up in a black household where my family is my mom's side of the family, they're from the South. So, you know, church fixes everything. And during that time, I met my current partner. We had our son in 2011, but church did not last very long. And neither did my positive journey to make better decisions because I did not get sober until 2021. And this, you know, we're talking 2008, 2009 when I dove head first and I was all in and I swore I wasn't gonna have sex till I was married and 2011 had my son. <laughs> so another pathway that I've tried was medication. So I was diagnosed with major depression after I had my son. So probably 2011, 2012. And it was because I ignored all the signs of postpartum. Because I have always been just this happy, cheery, go-lucky type person. And the minute I started feeling depressed, I thought there's no way that a happy person can be depressed. And so I just let it play out. I was like, okay, this is probably just a phase of some sort. And because postpartum isn't talked about enough, and it definitely isn't talked about a lot in the black community, I that I just didn't think it could happen to me because I was never a depressed person. But I didn't know that my like my brain was literally changing. And so by the time I by the time I recognized that it was postpartum, I it was major depression by this point. And I was desperate to feel like myself. And so I walked into the doctor and they asked me if I wanted medication. I said, absolutely. Like no ifs, ands, or buts about it. 
And the first medication that I started off with was Zoloft. Now, I'm not here to tell people what medication I, which medication will or will not work for them because it's part of your own personal journey. But me personally, Zoloft did not work for me. And on top of that, I was just using it as as a magic pill. I wasn't doing any of the necessary steps or any of the work to get better. With Zoloft, I, you know, people would ask me, hey, how are you? And I, I, I just was, I mean, I'm all right. Like, I'm, I'm just here. And I wasn't feeling depressed anymore, but I also just wasn't feeling at all. I wasn't happy. I wasn't sad. I was just existing. And at least when I was depressed, I felt something. So again, rather than talking to people or hearing other experiences, I took myself off of Zoloft and I just started self-medicating again with alcohol. And currently... I am on a regimen that works for me. I take Lexapro and I take Vyvanse for my ADHD, but we will definitely talk about medication more in another episode because I feel like there's just so much to cover on medication alone. So the next pathway I'm going to talk about is family support. So I definitely have family support. I, I want to reiterate that. My family my friends who I consider family, they are very, very supportive of my journey. But because mental health and addiction is so stigmatized, it's one of those things that's not talked about in the healthiest way. And, you know, I've heard things like there's no reason to depressed or you're not an alcoholic or, you know, just things that are very counterproductive to mental health. Because, again, representation matters and education matters. And so I'm not placing blame, but this is why it's so important to talk about these things so families know the signs and how to navigate these problems rather than the one thing they feel has helped them or they don't recognize the signs of somebody who has problematic drinking behaviors because they've done it, but it hasn't negatively affected them or, you know, we don't, you know, like we don't have a DUI or we've never been in jail or anything like that. And so they don't feel like it's a problem. So they're not addressed. It's more of, hey, stop drinking. Well, as a problematic drinker, as an alcoholic, we know these things. We know we have to stop. We know. But just hearing, hey, stop drinking is not enough because there's there's an underlying issue, but how do we get to that root cause if all we're hearing are things that are just counterproductive to mental health? So the next pathway is peer support. Peer support encompasses a range of activities and interactions between people who share similar experiences of being diagnosed with mental health conditions, substance use disorders, or both. Now, I've done outpatient treatment, which it's, a group of people, it's literally what I just said, it's a group of people who get together. Our counselors were usually people who were addicted and they were also in recovery. 
And I did that, I want to say in 2017, 2017, 2018, but I still was under the guise of, I can still drink here or there. You know, like I was recognizing my issues, but I wasn't taking the not drinking serious enough to get the full effect of outpatient treatment. And I I put myself in outpatient treatment because of something that happened, which again, another, that's another conversation for another day, but I put myself in that treatment and I was not ready to stop drinking. So it really didn't make much sense, but I've definitely done that. And I've also done a 12-step program. And the 12-step program helped me in the beginning of the journey that I'm on now. And I can't say that it was this was my first time trying a 12-step program, but when I was finally mentally ready to make that change, the 12-step program was there. And that was the only program that I really knew about and I knew it would be beneficial in some way, shape, or form. And it's not a program that I currently use, And I also don't think it's a program for me in general, but peer support was really good because you get to hear people and their experiences. And this ties heavily into shared experiences, which really, really helped me. And I'm not saying that's the only way, but a combination of all of these pathways has gotten me to where I am now. So now we're gonna talk about clinical treatment. So I was in a facility once and it actually had nothing to do with substance abuse. I was still very, very depressed. This was probably 2015, 2016-ish. And I had gotten myself into a situation with poor planning. And of course I thought, you know, the world is against me, but it was everything that I put on myself. But it's so much easier to put the blame on anybody but yourself and I was having suicidal thoughts and it landed me in a facility so the one thing that I learned about that place is that I absolutely positively never wanted to go back it actually was in 2016 I know that for a fact and I just felt like I I did not belong there like I this place is not for me and I almost went back twice because of alcohol. So obviously it was a, pla- it was a place that I needed to be. <laughs> but clinical treatment is another good starting point, in my opinion. And then the last pathway is self-care. And this is the, the journey that I am currently on. Self-care is about nurturing your mental and physical health so that you can lessen the chances of turning to your negative coping skill, whether whether it's destructive behavior or a substance. Currently, I'm doing a 75 soft challenge. It consists of five activities that I do for 75 consecutive days. Um, I've tried habit changing so many times, you guys, so many times, but I try to do too much at once and Again, I just dive head first into it and that definitely causes failure because you're so overwhelmed that you go back to what you know. 
And right now, I think I'm at a place that I can really focus on this challenge to help me achieve my goals because I I constantly have goals. Like my goals aren't just one and done. Like I'm constantly making sure that I'm continuing to be the best person mentally and physically that I can be. The last topic that I want to talk about today is I want to talk about some myths that go hand in hand with addiction and mental health and explain why some of them, most of these myths are dangerous. So myth number one, addiction only happens to certain kinds of people. Now I know a lot of people usually think that people who are addicts they're homeless or they look a certain way or they act a certain way and that is so dangerous because you you never know what anybody is going through and you can place blame on somebody's actions not knowing where they are coming from mentally and I feel like mental mental health and addiction, they go hand in hand. So addicts don't look a certain way. They don't act a certain way. They don't present themselves in a certain way. And I'm just going to use the old cliche, you cannot judge a book by its cover. So now for a more specific addiction. Sex addicts love sex. That is not true. So remember, addiction affects health and wellness of people's everyday lives. So a person who is addicted to sex, it's not like they, it's not because they necessarily love sex. They could have some kind of trauma and that is the only coping skill that they know or that is the only coping skill that they use. As an addict, you know what things are not healthy for you and what are not good for you. And so just because they do the destructive behavior or they partake in the substance does not mean that they like it. Another very specific addiction. Problem gambling isn't a problem if they can afford it. Eh, wrong. If you can afford to throw your money away, that's fine. But it's that's not the problem. The problem is how it affects your lifestyle. Are you spending too much time gambling that you don't have time for your friends and your family and your job? So it has nothing to do with affording it. It's how does it affect your personal relationships? How does it affect your health? Are you sitting at, you know, at a table and eating a bunch of crap causing you to gain weight? You know, are you not only just gambling, but are you now drinking a lot of alcohol, which is not healthy for you? So it has nothing to do with afford. It has everything to do with it being destructive to your everyday life. Another myth. My child is too young to develop an eating disorder. That is so completely false. We have to be careful with how we talk about people's bodies because while we may not be directly telling our children something negative about them, they might hear how you talk about other people 
and then they might see it reflected in themselves. And eating disorders isn't just about starving yourself or binging, you know, binge eating or things like that. And disorders usually are a sign of trauma and children are people and they can become traumatized. They can be victims of trauma. So a child is never too young for any kind of mental health issues at all. Myth number five, self-harm is a suicide attempt. I know me personally, I have felt the need to self-harm, but it wasn't because I wanted to end my life. When you're when you are depressed and down, you feel like you would do anything to just to feel anything. You do anything to feel anything. Self-harm is one of those things. And again, you have to try to find what the trauma is, what is causing these these thoughts. If a person wants to unalive themselves, they're going to do it. Self-harm is just another negative coping skill. And the last myth is that people with mental illnesses are dangerous. People are dangerous. <laughs> people are dangerous. Mental illness does not inherently make a person more or less dangerous. What that also does is it gives people who are just not good people an out. People who struggle with mental illness want to get better. And so just to say that somebody is mentally ill because they did something evil doesn't help people who are mentally ill who are trying to get better. So what other myths have you guys heard about mental illness and or addiction that probably need to stop? So we are coming to the end of my first episode of Black Recovery Talk. So to recap, recovery does not always mean drugs and alcohol. Recovery is a journey to improve oneself, addressing challenges like unstable living, legal or financial issues and strained relationships. So that is it for today's episode. I, re I really hope you guys enjoyed this first episode of Black Recovery Talk. I am still a work in progress, so hopefully you guys will grow with me as this podcast progresses into whatever it may progress into. And please remember that bad days are part of recovery. Bad days do not mean that you failed. Recovery is hard, but regret is harder. Thank you guys for listening. Bye. You've reached the end of another episode of Black Recovery Talk. For free resources and materials, head over to blackrecoverytalk.wordpress.com. Connect with me on social media at Black Recovery Talk on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Threads, and BLK Recovery TLK on Twitter. Come back often and make sure to subscribe, share, and leave a positive review on whatever platform you enjoy your podcast to help support the show further.